Shut up and sit down. Hello, welcome to the Tallinn University Student Podcast. Uh, today we will be talking about sustainable travel and personal choices um, that come with that and some other topics. My name is Klaas de Boer. I'm a law student here at the university and I'm doing this podcast together with Mariana, who will introduce herself right now. Hello, I'm Mariana. I also study here in the Tallinn University and I study audiovisual media which is more closer to film than media. But I do still have some things to say on this topic. So uh, we're going to be having kind of a debate. And I will be defending the point that each individual is directly responsible for their own negative impact on the environment. And because of that, each individual should make an effort to minimize it. So uh, (laughs) um, uh, we do have two dogs in the studio today. So if you will be hearing dog sounds, it's because we have dogs and don't be alarmed. <laughs> it's it's not a burglar in your house or anything. But or I, us uh, growling at each other. Uh, no, no, no. It's it's not going to be a <laughs> filthy fest of shouting at each other. So it will be civil. But do you have any experts with your class? Uh, yes, uh, my expert is not here at the moment as we have pre-recorded uh, my expert who is Katrina Koppel. Uh, she is a uh, junior researcher and lecturer at our university. Well, she's a good expert because she used to fly a lot as her, uh, in her position as vice president of the European Student Union. During this podcast, you will hear some sound bites of her uh, speaking. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, for me, I don't have an expert, sadly, but I do have like... 10 sources. <laughs> so, Mariana is indeed very good at uh, uh, winter sources. Yeah, but... but uh, yeah, do you want to start? Yeah, of course. Uh, why not? Uh, indeed, I'll be uh, approaching our discussion from the viewpoint that... I would say that you cannot hold uh, every individual responsible for the negative impact that they're making on the environment and that therefore the government must regulate this. Uh, To start, I would like to uh, kick off the debate by saying that people are not the best at making responsible choices themselves. You cannot uh, ask everyone to think fully rational. This might be a moment where Katrina Koppel would uh, cut in to that sense. She just said... Uh, you know, if you have the possibility to travel within Europe, for example, uh, especially in Eastern Europe, that although it is the most responsible to take a train uh, from uh, Tallinn to Riga, that it is uh, 10 times shorter and uh, 20 times more, well, maybe not affordable, but at least 10 times shorter to fly from Tallinn to Riga instead of taking a train. First off, the ability to make more sustainable choices uh, often comes with a lot of privilege. Making sustainable choices is A, uh, often very related to your income and the amount of time you have. Uh, Travelling sustainably, meaning travelling perhaps through bus or train, takes more time and on average can be a lot more expensive. Additionally, the ability to travel uh, internationally through railway is something that exists broadly in Western Europe but doesn't really exist in, in a lot of countries in Eastern Europe, uh, definitely doesn't really exist in a comfortable way in the Balkans, uh, for example. Uh, so, it, so my experience was a lot of the uh, activists and, and student unions from Western Union were very focused on we travel sustainably and you should as well, without acknowledging that sustainable travel for 
for those who are not from uh, Northwestern Europe can be uh, very difficult, very grueling, very exhausting, if not is, is impossible outright. No, indeed, uh, I find that uh, a fascinating point as uh, I am myself from uh, Western Europe. Um, so I've always uh, learned that yes, you need to travel by train, don't take the plane to go to Spain. But indeed, in, in the well former Soviet Union uh, countries, I would uh, it's indeed that uh, yeah, there that, that just is not a good alternative to traveling by plane. Um, uh, earlier today, we checked uh, bus tickets to uh, Vienna from Tallinn. It takes you 29 hours. You have to sleep in the bus station. Uh, it's uh, impossible to travel. And in that way, uh, I think, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I should word it like this, but that there might even be a... Iron curtain of traveling. Uh, I guess kind of. Or the sustainable iron curtain of, it's it's. I guess iron curtain might even be sort of uh, suitable since since railways are made of iron. I yeah, guess yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't actually know what they're made of. Uh, they are metal. <laughs> 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 uh, but yes, uh, it's it's simply the fact that a um, the railway connections are um, have different width. So even the trains wouldn't be able to go from straight from Western European countries to Eastern European countries because don't, we don't have the same kind of railway. And B, the connections just don't exist. Uh, traveling by bus can be an alternative. Uh, the issue then starts uh, to touch um, people's ability to actually combine uh, air travel and traveling by bus or by train or by boat, for example. Uh, the issue is not only the fact that a, it's annoying to buy several tickets from different businesses at the same time, but B, matching those times and C, what happens if one of those legs is cancelled? Uh, definitely, if you book off your ticket separately, you don't have the rights that come with taking uh, booking a full round trip. Yeah. But, uh, so you're wasting money if you have a two-hour delay or uh, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that traveling sustainability is uh, not something that is sort of desirable to achieve or not something that everyone should be striving towards. Uh, but there's a lot of privilege blindness, uh, especially in Western European countries, when it comes to how feasible sustainable travel actually is or isn't. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, it's, it's uh, yeah, as I said earlier, it is really a thing that uh, I never realized that in, uh, that indeed, in Western Europe, we do have the possibilities to take the train from Amsterdam to Brussels instead of having to fly. Um, I'm not sure what, if it's a similar length uh, or distance, but looking at, for example, Amsterdam, yeah, Amsterdam, Brussels and Riga, Tallinn. Um, uh, Amsterdam, Brussels is probably a little bit longer, but yeah, it's, uh, it's possible in, in some countries and not in others, which is just an issue of infrastructure. And maybe the solution would be to improve infrastructure, which is expensive in the short run, but more sustainable and less expensive in the long run. Uh, that's a political choice. That's a, a matter of sustainability politics. Uh, obviously, we have uh, the Rail Baltic uh, that is going to be built. That is itself very politically controversial, not only because international funding uh, and sustainability issues but sort of more broadly politically cont controversial in Estonia and other some some other countries as well 
though Estonia is sort of singular in that sense. Uh, we're the one still aching our head over which cities it should go through, while Latvia and Lithuania have long ago decided that what it's going to be, and sort of we, we as the Estonians are the ones still dragging this out. Yeah, <laughs> I know. If you look at the uh, website of Real Baltic, you can see the uh, current developments, and it yeah. indeed shows that development of Real Baltic in Estonia is going. Uh, well, exceptionally slow compared to the other uh, Baltic states. There's also been talk about a tunnel between Tallinn and Helsinki. Uh, whether that's actually doable or whether that's actually doable in the sort of near future uh, is another is one question. But again, that could be a pathway to improving the infrastructure and infrastructure and actually having more sustainable travel because the way to connect railways, for example, can't only be through. Uh, connecting Eastern Europe, it could also be a connection through Scandinavian countries because uh, Denmark and, and Sweden are connected to each other. Uh, it is possible to to travel by land. Uh, uh, indeed. Uh, however, the distance is way slower. Eh? You go over the bridge. Uh, yeah. Also, a issue that I personally have with the whole uh, tunnel idea is that it is seriously distracting from Real Baltic at the moment. Uh, yeah, plus the tunnel is, is some, it seems to be some people's special projects. Uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> that is sort of discussed occasionally, but not something that is actually a political plan. Uh, or at least that's how it seems to be. Uh, but broadly, yes, improving infrastructure is one way to actually start traveling more sustainably. Because currently, uh, airplanes are the most convenient option of often also the cheapest option uh, and the most polluting option. And as people cannot think rational themselves, it just comes down to people having to to trust our politicians to make these choices for us. But maybe you would like to react on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a trap that you can fall into. That, you know, you kind of prioritize your uh, short term over your long term. You had a very good uh, bit where you talked about the, like the BMW. So maybe <laughs> maybe Johanna wants to put it in. But oh, anyway. yeah, no, I can uh, mention it again uh, because uh, earlier we also had a conversation on this. And then I mentioned that, um, you know, people buy very expensive BMWs. Uh, well, you can uh, do the, well, if it's all about just traveling, you can also travel, well, by bus or by a cheaper car, which is, well, more affordable, probably as uh, environmentally unfriendly. Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, I think that proves my point, that people are not the best in making those responsible decisions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I do agree with that. But that's kind of where, where um, I start thinking that, you know, aren't governments just like... A big room with all of these people in there who are uh, prioritizing short term versus long term, who are not thinking rational, as you say. So uh, should we trust them? You know, I mean, uh, not that I'm like anti-establishment or anything, but like it kind of comes up in a way like, aren't they just like those people? I mean, personally, this point is very interesting, but I would argue that many governments prioritize short term outcome versus long term. I mean, the long term being sustainable development legislation, which... I can elaborate on further in my argument. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, governance uh, and sustainable development, are they actually linked in any way? So a study in 2017 by uh, uh, Gunay, uh, a Turkish uh, man, Uh, <laughs> no, I, I can just I can just say that uh, when the governance level is high in 121 uh, countries that uh, the survey was on, uh, that the sustainable development level rises as well. And uh, so, um, what do we mean when we say good governance? Good uh, governance. Then uh, it basically means features such as efficiency, effectiveness, rule of law, accountability, transparency, respect for human rights, no corruption, and being tolerant towards different uh, people. Uh, so yeah, another study done by Saldanya and another study by Lenin and Ngoma, both from 2004. So not a very new concept, but they found that... Uh, Uh, social transformation is actually necessary for sustainable development, but it can only be spearheaded by good governance. So yes, right off the bat, I think that, yeah, I agree that governments should be our drivers towards sustainable development and they are more responsible. They should kind of like take this thing and hold it in their hands and never let go. But I mean, there's always a gap in these things. Like there's always the expectation and always the reality. So this is our expectation, but what is the reality? So I have found that governments are just so slow uh, and some might say neglectful in their implementation of sustainable development legislation. There was a tri-university study on a local gov government climate action in British Columbia, Canada. It was published in 2019, so pretty recent. And it does highlight some barriers that governance has facing implementation. So Dale Robinson and others write that the barriers are basically lack of coordinated action across multiple scales. Uh, the kind of uh, electoral cycles that might seem kind of random and ever-changing and also obviously large swings in leadership and lack of policy coherence across governance levels. So that's a lot of barriers uh, which we can go into. We kind of have a case study on New Zealand and the USA. So those are generally considered to be countries of good governance and we can take them as the solid case study. Uh, New Zealand has always been known as this early adopter of sustainability mandates and the US has just rejoined the Paris Agreement, woohoo, and uh, both have uh, passed this issue to their local government. And the study was done by Lorian and Crawford in 2016. And uh, they have taken into account both countries waste, water and land management, uh, green buildings, uh, renewable energy, and general like best practices uh, for natural hazards and climate change. And sadly, it turned out that there was like very bad implementation in both cases. Uh, so um, for all of those barriers that I have already listed actually, but something else that was reported in the study was that uh, the political leadership was reluctant to innovate and uh, there was a lack of funding in the local government levels, which always is a barrier for these things. And also that there's like a lack of trust apparently between the elected officials and the staff that work there so yeah kind of sad but uh, we can see that uh, these local governments prioritized more short-term things like economic development and logistics over the long-term sustainable development goal 
So yeah, to conclude, like this would be perfection if the governments could legislate everything away, but we can see that there's like a huge gap in implementation, even in other levels. Like, um, for example, in Estonia, we just uh, had this beautiful thing that uh, we had a registered partnership act approved like last decade but there's still no implementation so it's kind of always an issue with governments and we can't expect them to be perfect so but we what we can do is kind of look at ourselves and see like okay but how can i help and everyone has this carbon footprint so we can try to minimize it and uh, at least do something to help uh, we don't always have to count on the government to uh, rule our lives. So, yeah, that would conclude. Yeah, I think you're making some very good uh, points um, there. Maybe I'm uh, reading it, uh, reading your argument wrong. But Go ahead. I would say uh, what I am, am really hearing here is that there are two bad options uh, in, in your sense. You either have the people trying to make the uh, responsible choice or you have the government making the responsible choice for them. Am I uh, right in that? Uh, I mean, I would say in some respects. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have the government, I mean, in my perspective, failing in this. But then we kind of have the people in a separate way. So, um, yeah, personal responsibility is, is kind of different. It's something that you have as your own moral compass and your own norm. But... Uh, yeah, I can actually talk about that more in my argument, but I'm kind of curious, no, like, what do you have to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One thing is, is uh, what I find important to emphasize is the financial part that comes with uh, the... Um, uh, with, with the well, uh, let's... Uh, yeah, that comes with sustainable choices. However, to react first is that uh, governments... Governments are, are truly the, the bundling of powers, uh, of, of mental powers of the people. Uh, yeah, of, of the people we elect ourselves. Uh, these people, we give them a, a bread box and a desk and a chair and say, now your full-time task for the entire day is to make the good decisions for us. Uh, I do think that we need to, um, well, trust in our governments in that sense to have them to make the good decisions. However, an interesting thing you mentioned is the, uh, well, in the United States where you have, well, first you had uh, President Obama who entered the Paris Climate Agreement, then you had Trump who exited it again, and then you had, uh, have now President Biden who, uh, well, got into it again. So, indeed, policies do change with election cycles. Let's see, I had a very good point to make here. Yeah, in, in that sense, uh, it is important to trust our governments to make the right decisions. Also, um, uh, well, I, uh, as uh, we have uh, agreed on forehand with each other on a certain way to go with this uh, debate. Uh, however, a thing that is important to mention are the financial factors that come with uh, making responsible decisions. In the sense, we are voting with our euros when making uh, good decisions uh, with sustainability. And yeah, and, and okay, I hope I made uh, you got the things that I'm making. As you might hear, I'm rambling a bit as, uh, well, Marianne had a very good point and I'm not sure how to react to it. So, uh, but maybe you want to carry on the, uh, the thought. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is kind of a sad 
situation that the governments are kind of like unpredictable and their opinions might change and we can't be sure that they will implement everything that we want them to implement in this podcast but um, yeah I mean it's also a very uh, good point that um, wait you didn't make the point about the uh, the fin- the buying power, right? This is a perfect time to make it. Yeah, and, you, you can, uh, because like... Because, indeed... Then I can't say anything. As, as I have um, spoken with, maybe this is a point where we would uh, listen to uh, uh, Katrina Koppel, as she had an incredibly good point to make uh, here. Uh, it was uh, about um, when she would travel in Europe, um, that, uh, well... That, uh, as you know, students, so for us, we are very involved with traveling sustainable and making responsible choices. Uh, that sometimes when she would uh, travel to somewhere in Western Europe, she would be uh, reminded by students, hey, you did not uh, travel here by train, but by plane. This is not responsible. Uh, however, uh, the prices involved with traveling sustainable are incredibly high if you would travel from uh, Tallinn to um Berlin or Amsterdam or whatever, uh, they're high and it is also very time intensive to travel there. You fly in two hours to Amsterdam, but you travel there with, well, what would it be 14, 18 hours? Uh, incredibly long. So, yeah, that's a thing that needs to be taken into consideration because else traveling sustainable might be um, reduced to pure and yeah, pure virtue signaling. And there's no value in that. Uh, What is also not really thought about is people don't only fly for pleasure. Some people live uh, in one place and have to fly to work in another place. I used to have to do that. Uh, When I was working in European Students Union, yes, I at time lived in Brussels, but also lived in Tallinn, worked in Brussels. Doesn't mean I was taking a plane every single day. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, if I could have avoided flying, I would have. Uh, maybe that's something that uh, is going to be changed anyway by the corona crisis and the fact that working from home and work or working from a distance is more acceptable now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for example, if we talk about other methods of travel, like um, ferries, Tallinn uh, sells tickets that are basically meant for people who uh, do live in Tallinn, for example, and work in Helsinki and have to take the bu- boat every single day. They sell like batches of 14 tickets that last a couple of months it's clear what the what the sort of uh, goal purchaser of that sort of ticket is. Yeah, the, the normal commuter. Yeah. So it, it's not just that six hours is, is a long commute. Some people have to commute two hours in a single country to get where they live from where they work. The people who often make travel politics or the people who most discuss travel politics, especially people who are interested in sustainable travel, are from countries where sustainable travel is much more of an option. And again, the sort of privileged blindness uh, or or sort of the blindness to to the conveniences that you have, but other people's don't comes to play. Uh, I mean, as I I said, I used to work at the European Students' Union. Uh, There was several instances of people from Western European countries getting on the case of people from Eastern European countries. We took a train here, why didn't you? Well, because taking a train or is impossible and taking a bus would take 24 plus hours. Um, 
important to be said, the place that we were traveling to was supposed to hold a three-day meeting, 12-hour meeting days. Obviously, it's not easy to first travel 36 hours and then be able to engage in a meeting for several days and then take the same amount of traveling back home. Um, so things like the Discover EU is, is people making sustainability politics who have much more uh, ability to be sustainable than other people. And being sustainable, even in the sense of, I don't know, buying eco-food is still a privilege because it's more expensive. Similarly, uh, traveling sustainably can be the same kind of privilege. It's more expensive or it takes much more time, which people who uh, work on schedules, they might not have the extra 12 hours that it needs to take a bus. They might not. They might need to be at work. Mm, okay. Well, I mean, uh, I do. I mean, it's hard to argue because I do agree with everything mm. you're saying here, and I think it kind of extends like not only travel, but it's also um, important to know that all of the products that are kind of made ethically and are more sustainable, and the packaging is you know recyclable, so on and so forth, then um, those are generally more expensive. And, uh, you know, there's very different people from very different different financial statuses that, you know, maybe they can't make that purchase. Maybe they don't, they, they can't afford it. So why should they afford it, right? That's also an argument to be made. But I'm making it because I also, you know, disagree with the narrative that, yeah, like, you should, you know, as a person, you should be 100% like pro-sustainable development and you should only buy the products that are good and so on but yeah but it it should start with small changes and uh, it doesn't mean the responsibility part doesn't mean that you have to do it like kind of like <laughs> killing yourself in the process and kind of like ruining yourself yourself financially no it doesn't mean that it just means that um you must do what you can afford and what is comfortable for you because there are many small habits and many small shifts you can make and um, not suffer from it and still be more sustainable and in the long term, um, you know, help with climate change. So it's easier in all respects to start with small changes as with any other habit. And I would even argue that small changes help a lot and are more important and, uh, you know, taking responsibility for your own uh, impact and making more sustainable choices will actually impact the people around you and influence them to do the same. So I wouldn't say it's only like blind virtue signaling that is generally not good practice. I would say that uh, in this case, we could uh, say that it's social normative influence and it's kind of establishing a new norm in society for other people to follow as well. So uh, maybe a little bit on the background of social or normative social influence. It's defined in the fifth edition of social psychology by Aronson and some others as the influence of other people that leads us to conform in order to be liked and accepted by them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like peer pressure, but good. Mm -hmm. um, like use it wisely, you know. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> that uh, somewhere in the university there's hanging a poster that says uh, tap water in Tallinn is clean. Um, mm. and, um, and maybe um, as um, we had a bit of another conversation, maybe you would like to uh, mention something about uh, different types of um, influencing uh, via, well, 
via uh, uh, posters and things yeah, like that. Of like, um, would, for example, do you think it would work to say this to hang a enormous poster in the cafeteria? Uh, non-reusable cups are bad for the environment. Or how would you look at that? Oh, very convenient because I actually do have a study on that. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah. So uh, before I go uh, on about this, so there's like uh, many kinds of like social norms defined. So this article in 2019 uh, from Catherine White and others kind of um, gives kind of two mm-hmm. types of norms. So there are descriptive and injunctive norms. So descriptive is when something Uh, So something other people are doing or commonly do and injunctive is behaviors that other people approve or disapprove of. And there are studies that kind of show that if you uh, use these two types of norms together, that basically it works to influence people to like do or in this case not do something. So um, that's very interesting. So both cases involve just like signs on paper, like posted somewhere so in 2020 there was this case in uh, switzerland by um, a study by terrier and uh, varga so they analyzed um, consumer behavior in the coffee shop and found that like 68 percent of people take to go like in Mm non-reusable cups Um, and then they thought hmm uh, do these people actually care about environmental issues they asked them and it turned out that 90 percent answered that yeah, uh, I do care. And yes, I would be willing to shift my behavior. So there's like a small gap in attitude and behavior we can observe. But they actually thought, okay, can we make this gap smaller using social normative influence? And it turns out that yes. So they put up a poster for a week that said 85% of the community agrees that consuming for here is more eco-friendly than to go. And basically more people ordered reusable cups that week or for here. And another study in 2008, so like way before in a hotel, uh, was uh, discovered like similar results uh, that uh, the customers or in this case, the hotel guests would be more likely to conserve energy when they saw a poster that said 75% of hotel guests choose to reuse their towels each day. And maybe also something like because so many guests value conservation, this hotel has initiated a conservation program. So that kind of influenced them to start like reusing towels, to turn off the lights and do like small things that conserve. So, yeah, I definitely would argue based on this research, both old and new, that um, we can use social normative influence to influence those around us. And if we lead by example, and if we do it in a non-patronizing way, of course. So um, kind of an article I read by uh, Renee Lertzman, a climate psychologist, she says that communicating is the key to like be effective in climate change so people engage with it productively. So shifting narrative from me to we and uh, focusing that it's okay to have climate anxiety, it's okay to express feeling sadness and anger and we're all in this together, so stuff like that. So if it's made like in a non-patronizing way that we can use this social normative influence as something. And yeah, basically I would say so. I think it's fair. <laughs> I, I think you have uh, some very good points to make. Uh, to start uh, closing off our podcast, as uh, we are, you know, we, we try to keep the, the time down. Uh, a thing I like to say is you must do what you can afford. Uh, and that's a thing I, I would like to, to close on. 
of um, maybe we can indeed not trust our politicians to make all of the decision for us and a better climate starts with yourself after all. As um, a thing that Katrina Koppel uh, talked about is the uh, Discover EU program. Um, it uh, was an idea that every EU citizen that would become uh, 18 years old would get a, uh, well, I believe a week-long free train ticket to travel all to Europe. And that shows an issue as, for example, you have countries in the European Union like Malta that doesn't have any rail lines. I don't actually re- remember what the name of the project was, but there was some weird name for it as well. Um, it was a yeah, kind of a political apology for... Can I swear on this podcast? Probably not. <laughs> oh, definitely. You can. Uh, it's allowed. <laughs> uh, sorry for uh, fucking up education in Europe. Uh, but not really. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of a... I think it was everyone who turns 18 and is a European Union citizen can get a, a Eurorail ticket for a year for free. And in countries where they don't have rails, it will be substituted by, like, bus connections or something. But it was... I think it was passed, but it never really became popular. And B, uh, Maltese citizens, for example, yes, who don't have a single railway in the whole country because it's a small island, uh, are probably not too keen on this sort of weird politics where they get a free train ticket when when trains is not something that they would ordinarily even consider. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I- indeed, it's, it starts with yourself. Yeah, the, the disconnect between attitude and behavior must be solved. Can we trust our politicians to do so? Probably not. So yeah, it, it starts with ourselves. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Good conclusion. I also yeah. agree with like a lot of your points as well. Like The government should ideally be responsible, but we can also hold them to the standard. I mean, mm-hmm. you always hear people saying, oh, call your governments and so on. But uh, I think it's more of a US thing. But <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but uh, yeah, I mean, that is something that can be done, actually. And, you know, we can also vote for like greener parties or the parties that kind of like promise to like prioritize this. Indeed, you can argue from the one side that people uh, will vote away politicians that make unpopular choices, but you can also trust the people to make the proper decision to vote for a party that uh, might make those hard but necessary choices. Yeah, but we're not saying that uh, an individual is like definitely more responsible like than the government. Or no, it, it, the the balance lies somewhere in the middle, and I yeah. think that's that's a good note to conclude this all on. Yeah, I think so. I think I learned a lot from you today. And I think I learned a lot from you today. And I would like to uh, thank everyone. Uh, you know, our uh, expert, who's unfortunately not here, uh, Katrina Koppel. Uh, I would like to. Uh, Thank uh, Xenia for uh, organizing all of this. And uh, Johanna, who is our great uh, recording yeah, person. And, and, of course, our two, our two dogs. dogs. And uh, <laughs> also Emma, who does marketing and who helped me a lot with like the research and where to find articles. So Indeed. So, um, yeah, uh, well, I think that's, uh, that's it. Thank you all for listening yeah. to our podcast. And... Uh, well, listen to other episodes. Yeah, for example, our great podcast about emotional skills and masculinity. Yeah, class will also speak there, so stay tuned for that. Indeed, if you all want to listen to more of my great voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this has been uh, Talon University student podcast signing off. 
Auf Wiedersehen. <lacht> <lacht>